Hey, welcome to Whitewater. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, you made it to church. Way to go. Um, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I've been on, on vacation. I've had some of our, our other pastors speak, and they've just done a knockout job. I'm just so grateful to have such a talented staff and, and, and a great team of, of leaders and pastors that are in this church. And um, man, I, I probably don't say it enough, but I just love this church. I love you guys. Uh, so grateful to be a part of this. Um, while we were on vacation, I wanted to teach my daughter how to boogie board. That's like, do you guys know what boogie boarding is? Some of you guys are imagining someone standing on a board doing a boogie or something. It's like in the ocean. Uh, it's the next best thing to surfing. And I want to teach her how to do that so that the next step would be surfing for her because we like to go surfing. So we were out uh, at the beach in Westport. The uh, wind was, uh, was perfect. There was wind out there. It was keeping you cool. The sun was out. Um, and the waves were really good. And so we brought Novell out there and my sister and her, uh, her husband was there, Aaron, and, uh, my family's on the beach and they're playing in the sand. And I take Novell out there and as she walks out, like as it gets deeper and deeper, it gets up to like her waist and then her chest. And she's like, you know, it's up to here on me. My daughter's five years old and, um, it just looked terrifying. So we just kept walking out and then we hit a sandbar, walked up on that. And on the sandbar, these perfect waves for her size and for her to learn were just breaking on this like sandbar, this beautiful area. And so we just, we just went for it. Like, I was like, all right, Novella, hold on the board. Aunt Katie, you get behind and, uh, and then push. And then she, she just like the first one, she just leapt off the, the boogie board and grabbed onto my leg and went let go. And I was like, no, get off. And then she grabbed on my shoulder, grabbed on my head. And I finally was like, uh, you'll be okay. Cause the first thing was getting over the fear of being in the water. And, uh, but then after like two more tries, all of a sudden we gave her a push and she was holding on, you know, there's that kind of fear like, hey, hey, hey everything's okay. <laughs> I don't want to be out here. This isn't fun. You know, this is not vacation. And then all of a sudden she caught a wave, like the momentum just carried her and she caught the whole wave and she just looked back. She's like, I boogie boarded. It was this moment of victory. And she's like, can we go in? <laughs> she was like still scared. And she did a few more. And then we all of a sudden started noticing like the, the waves started changing. They started running into each other and running back into each other. The, 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 uh, the actual like tide started doing weird things. And I could feel under my legs just this weird pull. And I, I was like, hey, Katie, I'm going to bring, um, Novella back in. Um, there's a rip tide. How many of you guys know what a rip tide is? The rip tide can pull you all the way out. My sister's like, she's a hundred pounds. She's like, no, you're bringing Novella in? Am I okay out here? Like, what's a rip tide? What will do? What do I need to know? I was like, you'll be fine as long as you hang on to your board. And don't get sucked out. And she's like, wait, how do you get sucked out? I was like, it just happens. You have no control. And she's like, what? I was like, no, just hold on your board. If you were to get sucked out, you stay on your board. But you'll be fine to stay in this area. But pay attention because it'll pull you out. So I took my daughter out and went back out and watched my my uh, sister and my mom boogie board. And there was this major rip tide. And it was, and you can feel it like it, you can feel it in your knees afterward because there's such a strong pull. And it's an undertow. And you can't see it on the surface as much, usually. It's deceptive. It's deceptively strong. It's deceptively slow. I've been in a riptide one time that pulled me a mile down from where we'd started serving, or surfing in just a matter of, uh, of minutes. It was just so strong. And we live in a culture and in a day and age where, there's, where there are people who are exploring faith with Jesus. They want to know about Jesus. They want to know what he stood for. They want to know, how do you live in the way of Jesus? How do you live in a community that, that actually accepts you and isn't condemning of you? And also there's truth. How do you live in a 
an environment like that. And there's Christians here today that are, that are, that are trying to follow Jesus, trying to follow the way of forgiveness, the way of peace, the way of truth. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid there's a lot of people that are actually caught and they're in the, the ocean of culture and they don't realize how strong the riptide is of culture. Does that make sense? And, and we live in a culture that's just pulling at us, pulling against uh, Jesus' values. And you can, you can be sure, like if Jesus came to, to bring freedom and life and transformation and forgiveness, that if you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to lead the way of forgiveness, we have a lot in our culture that says, no, 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 forgiveness is not really the way. You need to hold on to that grudge. If Jesus is teaching us to love our enemies, if he's teaching us to, to like not like work for God's grace, that we, you can't earn that. You can only receive it, but we want to keep we want to go with culture and try to earn it. We want to, we want to maybe not love our enemies or be friends with, you know, like f- figure out how to reconcile with people. Like there's just Jesus things that if you start following him, it's moving against the undertow. And, um, I think this is the reality of the world we live in. And we're going to be studying the book of Daniel. And it's, it's a playbook that God has given the church. He's given the people of God this playbook. And it's a story of of really how um, a group of of men and, and and really women, but in the story of Daniel, it focuses on Daniel and a few of his friends, uh, how they're taken from their homeland and from their culture and from their their faith, their family, and they're transported to Babylon, a place that has the opposite values, makes fun of their faith, like all their all all the things that they stand for, their central convictions. Are, are, are none of it's held in the, in Babylon. No one cares about that. And they're put into the, in the midst of this, of this cultural riptide that might on the surface look still, but underneath it's pulling at them. And, and we're going to study the book of Daniel and it's, it's one of the most amazing books to look at. How do you stand firm in your faith in truth and love in a culture that's moving against the way of Jesus? Um, that's what we're going to be looking at. And here's, here's a few reasons, um, I think that there's a struggle with the undertow, with the riptide that pulls against us. I think the drift happens subtly because the cultural drift is both slower and stronger than we think. I was just, uh, you know, like starting to eat healthy this last week and, um, my wife bought a bag of pretzels and that's not on the list of healthy things to eat. And it slowly, strongly wore me down just sitting on that. And it's not right in our culture. Pretzels are great. But in what George needed to do that week, they weren't great. And I gave in. Like it was just, it was this pull. We live in, 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 a, in a world where there's all kinds of things pulling at us. Uh, how, we, how we raise our kids, how we talk, uh, what, what's most important. Um, and if you look at all the stuff that's in the news politically and in Hollywood, where there's this, there's this on the surface, yeah, we're people of integrity and we care about people. We care about, you know, oppressed people. And then you actually look at the actions of politicians and actions, uh, in, in places like Hollywood and you see like the stuff bubbling to the surface and you're like, oh, that's our culture. And it is pulling people all the time. The second thing is, um, 
We can get lulled into sleep and wake up shipwrecked. We can we can become unaware and we're not thinking. If you're not thinking and you're unaware of the riptide, that's when you get pulled out. That's when new surfers or new boogie boarders or people who are just hanging out in the ocean get pulled out is they're just unaware. They're not, they're, they're not thinking. They just don't know about it. They're ignorant of it. And we, we can't, as Christians, I don't want to have a church family that, that's ignorant or doesn't know how strong the pull is. And again, that pull happens strong and it happens slow. It's not like someone like all of a sudden overnight just like uh, suddenly is like, oh, you're not my wife. You know, that doesn't just happen. It's like a series of unwise decisions, a series of letting your values and your convictions uh, about Jesus erode and fade. And the third thing is, is there's a belief, I think, that there's no consequences for allowing the riptide to pull you on. Like, no, it'll all be fine. It doesn't matter. When in fact, if you've ever seen someone who gets pulled out in a riptide, they have to send a helicopter or boats to go get them because there are consequences for getting pulled away from the areas that are good, healthy, and safe. Are we on the same page? Now what I want to do is I want to go through uh, the, the first little portion, first seven verses of Daniel. And I want to give a little bit of context for Daniel with, with the Bible and with uh, some history. And then we're going to jump into, okay, what does this mean for my life? You guys hang in there with that? Does that sound good? All right, so Daniel uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 7. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him. Who's the him? King Nebuchadnezzar. We could call him Nebi if you want to for short. Along with some of the vessels from the house of God. So like some treasure from the temple of God like were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. All of all of uh, Judah and Israel were handed to him. And here's the context of what's going on in the history, history of God's people, Israel. Um, they were, they were very clearly given kind of some guidelines by God to live by. It, one of them was, don't worship false fake gods, only worship me. You know, like, it's kind of like if you get married, it's saying, hey, like, there's no other people that are going to enter into our, our relationship. It's just us. That's what God was saying. But for Israel, like that one, that one wasn't, was really easily forgotten. Don't worship other gods and me. Treat each other really, really good. And basically all the commands and all the guidelines were love God and love people well. Love your countrymen well. Take care of them. If there's people hurting and poor and if there's orphans and widows, take care of them. Do justice. Do the right thing. Be God's people. And uh, Israel, the people of Israel, like really easily, and it was kind of a slow, uh, drip, a slow decline, moved away from God, and, and they struggled with these three things. Um, the, the history of, of Israel during that time, or right before the time of, of, of Babylon, they actually committed idolatry, which is worshiping other gods. And the gods they worshiped um, caused them to have immorality. So there's I- idolatry and immorality. Immorality is just like really gross, toxic, disgusting living. And the gods that they that they worshiped instead of the God, Yahweh, they worshiped these other false gods. They had weird just... Uh, um, and I know you, you, people nowadays are like, well, we can't culturally judge. I mean, but they were sacrificing babies. They were like entering religions that were self-harm, cut, all sorts of weird practices that I don't even want to go into because there's kids... If you get my drift, it was a lot of really, really sick things. They went from idolatry into immorality, and then it ended in injustice. 
So those three were big. Idolatry, immorality, and injustice. And injustice, they weren't taking care of their families. They're, they weren't taking care of their parents. They weren't taking care of uh, the widows and orphans and the, and the oppressed in society. And they're supposed to be God's people. Like the people of Israel, if you know their story, they, God freed them from Egypt. They were slaves. And he freed them as oppressed people. And, and, and then later in their history, because after a few generations, they just forgot. Didn't take long. And they moved away from God and all this awful stuff happened. So God ended up saying, remember I said, if you listen to me, it will go well. If you don't listen to me and don't honor me, it will not go well for you. Well, this is one of those times in history where it did not go well for them because of, of where their heart was as a nation. You guys with me? Okay, so here, here's a few things that are, that are important. The defeat and relocation of the Jews to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar was about 605 BC. So it's about 600 years before Jesus, uh, for any of those historically oriented people. Anybody, uh, other people who don't care, you don't care, but 600 years before Jesus. Um, just to give you a little context, that's about the time of democracy in Greece, about 100 years be- before the philosopher Socrates. How many of you guys know who Socrates is? Hey, that's actually good. There's like one person in the first service. I was like, man, we gotta, we gotta talk some more history. Um, at the age of, um, of around 15 years old is what scholars think Daniel was brought from Jerusalem and was taken from his family, from his nation, from his faith and moved to, uh, to Babylon. Um, Babylon is in, uh, modern day Iraq, about 50 miles south of modern-day Baghdad. So he was moved from Jerusalem to modern-day Iraq. Now, um, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi, he was famous for a few things. Like, he was really violent, and he conquered everything in sight. Um, and he also was a builder. He did some amazing things. Uh, some of you might know of like the, the Ishtar Gate and the Hanging Gardens. Have you guys heard of the Hanging Gardens? It's one of the seven wonders of the world. He helped, he actually created that and they, he had that built. Um, and so this was a really, really powerful leader is what I'm trying to get at. And he, he had a lot of influence. And um, if we were to continue with the story, in verse two, verse 2, it says, Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon. To the house of his God and put the vessels of the treasury of, uh, of his God. And so he took all the treasure and all the like stuff that, that had tradition and cultural meaning from the temple in, in Jerusalem all the way to his temple, to his God. Um, is that, you know, is that good or bad if you're the people of Israel? It's really bad. Like you would never want to see that. That just shows total conquering, total subjugation. Verse three, the king ordered, um, Ashpenaz, I don't know if it's Aspenaz or Ashpenaz, uh, Aspenaz is kind of funnier, his chief eunuch to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good looking, suitable for instruction and in all wisdom, knowledge, perceptive and capable of serving in, in the king's palace. And you see the, those values that you see right there, they ask for like, uh, like influential people. Um, in our day and age, like, infl- everyone's following, you know, like, or at least, you know, a few years ago, I think it still is true, but like the Kardashians and they follow like basketball players and they follow like their, their heroes. Well, the Babylonians were, what they decided to do is we need to, we need to crush the spirit 
of, of Judah, the, the, the people of God. We need to crush their spirit and we need to take their identity so that we can control that nation. And so what they did is they, what I heard was about 20 to 25% of the people in Judah and Israel, they took them and their leaders out of Israel. So they took the identity and the stories and the influence and the leaders who could lead any uprising and took them out of Israel, leaving everybody else, and then transplanted them into Babylon. And they tried to take the best of the best to serve the king um, so that it could advance his empire and it would at the same time weaken Israel, God's people. Make sense? So this is what was going on. And, and values-wise, isn't our culture have the same values? You see, they look for nobility, people who are like famous and, you know, seen as leaders. Young men without physical defect, they're, they're, they're strong. Um, uh, physically strong, physically fit, uh, good looking. Isn't beauty one of the, one of our culture's values that you see like lifted up? Um, suitable for instruction and all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, like smart, like intelligence is highly valued in our culture, uh, often over other things. Now, this was the way the Babylonians were trying to reprogram, brainwash, and assimilate the people of Israel, to keep them under control. Um, the king, it says in verse 5, assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank, um, that was against their uh, the Jewish like dietary laws. All the food that they were eating was against their own dietary laws. But they're not in, they're not in Israel anymore. They're in Babylon, and then they were trained for three years. At the end, uh, at, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. They were trained in the best, you know, art and literature and mathematics at that 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 day and age. That was the university that they went to. And Daniel was about fifteen when this happened. And um, and then it says this in verse 6. Among them were the Judaites. They were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And those are some of the main characters that you follow through the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel, even though it's, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years removed from us, I think there's a ton to learn from it because in many ways, Daniel is a lot like you sitting in your seat. You're like, like, how? You know, he was transplanted and he had a family. I, I'm with my family, most of you. But here's, here's a few things that, uh, that I, I think we forget. But Daniel's like a hero of the Bible. He's a person of faith. He's not a pastor though. He's not like me. He's not, uh, he's not a priest. He's not a prophet. Normally the heroes were priests, prophets, or kings and, um, and pastors. But he's none of those. Uh, and, and he wasn't a professional religious figure. He worked in a secular cutthroat world. He had a secular degree from a secular state school where he studied pagan thought, even uh, the dark arts, witchcraft. I mean, like, I mean, some people might be like, the schools are terrible. But last I checked, like, they, they're not teaching, like, witchcraft in the schools. Last I heard. I mean, they're not, you know, kids aren't, like, opening up a spleen to give a fortune telling. Um, and, uh, and, like, so he was, he was in a context that's pretty bad, right? And uh, he learned the, the best mathematics literature of the day. He worked for a world power. He was a government worker. He worked for a world uh, power leader who struggled with pride and violence. Uh, and then he he worked with co-workers who were always stabbing each other in the back. Who were, like, not literally. Well, sometimes literally, but more more figuratively. They were always trying to get ahead. They were always trying to, like, push people out of the way, get them removed. It was like, you know... Uh, you know, Babylonian Game of Thrones are trying to like push each other out and they, they want to get power. 
That was the environment that he was in. It was unhealthy. And then not only that, but his core values uh, were, were trying to be pulled out of him by the culture he was in. By his values were no, no one else's values. So let me ask you, are any of you guys in work situations where there, there can be toxic behavior and toxic um, relationships and there's kind of like the backstabbing that goes on and, 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 and bosses can be uh, real moody and there's pride and there's like people don't believe what you do and don't take seriously your own, your convictions of faith. I mean, don't many of us, like, isn't that the world we live in? And so Daniel gives us amazing insight in how to stand strong in that. We, we live in Babylon where our faith gets trampled on. How do we live into our values? And what we're going to find in this series as we go through this, and I'm going to focus on, like, what does this mean for us today? But, but one of the things I think is really powerful is Daniel provides an example to live into but even bigger than that, behind the scenes, and I would encourage you to read through the book of Daniel as we're going through this. Read through the book of Daniel. You'll learn so much that you can take into your life about faith and prayer and struggle and like, how do I, how do I stand for truth, but also love people? How do I, how do I not let go of love? How do I not let go of truth? Like, how do I stand? How do I have influence rather than in culture, rather than running away from culture? There's just so much to learn. Read through it. What you'll find is that behind the scenes, Behind Daniel, behind Nebuchadnezzar, behind the nations rising and following is this God, this great big God who's in control of it all and that we can learn to trust Him. And that's one of the, I think one of the big things we're going to be discovering in this series. So, here's what I want to focus on for today. The so what? Because we just learned a lot of history. How many of you guys love history? This has been awesome. How many of you guys are like, this was the most boring thing ever? I don't care about the gardens or, you know. Um, in verse 7, it gets real, uh, real pointed. Check this out. The chief eunuch gave them names, Daniel and his friends. Uh, he gave the names Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, uh, Abednego to Azariah. And they gave them new Names to change their identity. Uh, see what 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 Babylon was doing, and what the enemy of the human soul, Satan. And if you've been a Christian long, you know about spiritual warfare. If you read Genesis, like Satan was from the very beginning doing what the Babylonians were doing to Daniel and his friends, which is trying to help, trying to change their identity by making them believe in lies. Believe that there's, that there's something different than God had created them. Let me, let me, um, get to this here in a second. When I was, when I was born, they gave me the name George William Bedlion III. Um, people told me it's not even a name, it's a title. And yes, it's true. There's three of us. And when we'd be at family reunions and they'd say George, they'd be like, all, all, you know, three of us go, what, what, what? And there's another weird George who doesn't have this, he's kind of an outsider. And he'd be like, what? We didn't like him as much. Um, and be like, that would be family reunions. And so they started calling me Georgie. G3. Um, I, I, in, in high school, they just called me by my last name. They called me Bedlion. And uh, those were my, my name in, in high school. And it's really important to know, it's not, for this sermon, what, it's not as important what you're called. It's what you answer to. Does that make sense? So now my family calls me George. I'm not George anymore. My friends might call me G3. Um, and, but the, those were my names. How many of you guys have nicknames in your families? See, names 
have meaning, and especially in this culture, names were part of who you were. They were part of your identity. If you have your notes, take them out for a minute. We're going to kind of blast through this, but I think this is really, really important. Daniel, the name had meaning. There was identity connected to uh, his uh, name. Daniel's his name meant God is my judge. God is my judge. Like, like I'm not serving people. God is my judge. I serve him. Um, Belteshazzar was the name he was, it was changed to. And it meant, Lady Protect the Queen. So you can imagine this unit getting up and being like, <clears throat> I'm changing your name to, you know, like, and this 15 year old guy's like, are you serious? This, this unit renames them. And he's trying to, he's trying to pull their, their cultural faith identity out of them by giving them these names. So Daniel from God is my judge to Lady Protect the Queen, that's an insult. That's an insult. In this day and age, that's a major insult. And the identity is changing from male to female, focuses on uh, serving God to focusing on serving uh, some person. Um, and then it changes from an all-powerful God to all of a sudden protecting just a, a human. So like the focus changes. And he's trying to change Daniel's identity, the way that he sees himself. Um, and uh, in, in our day and age, you see all that kind of stuff too. People um, having identity around things that people call them or name them, whether it's in, in school or family. Um, my my grandma, she had a, a mom who had some mental illness and some real issues, and she grew up with her mom always calling her fat, always calling her worthless, always saying that no boy's ever going to like you. And you imagine growing up with that for years and years. That's the messaging. That's the identity that's put onto your life. That's what my grandma grew up with, and she had to fight through to claim an identity other than what her mom was putting on her. And, you know, that, that's one of the most... Parents, if you're here, one of the most important things you do is you're helping give identity to your child that's true and it's good. It's helping them live into the identity and, and purpose that God has put on their life. Um, in in uh, Hananiah, his name is God has been gracious. God is good. And Shadrach is the new name that's given to him, and it means I'm fearful of God. How would you like to be called Shadrach? I wouldn't like that, Shadrach. Uh, his identity uh, is changed from gracious and loving uh, God to a tyrannical God, to a God who's to be feared. So it changes from God is great and amazing and loving, and I get to serve him to like God's horrible, and he doesn't love you, and you should be afraid. And, and then it also changes it from God-focused, focusing on the Lord, to an identity that's self-focused. Mishael. It means who can compare to my God? No one. And that's a pretty long like meaning. Isn't that? That's a long sentence for a name. Who can compare to my God? No one. What it's saying is like, my God's the best. There's no one better than my God. And then he gets a new name that's trying to change his identity to this. I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So the the chief eunuch is is like hammering him, and he's and he's changing his identity in a few ways. One, from God focused to self focused, uh, from courage in God, like man, my God's amazing. I can have courage and confidence in Him. To changing him to despise, contemptible, and humiliate. It's saying that you, you he's leaving an identity of courage and confidence to cowardice, to be afraid, and the and the it all amounts to this identity change, which is. You think that, that there's no one like your God? Well, your God is an embarrassment because he couldn't even save you. That's the identity change. 
That's the new name that's been given to him. Lastly, there's Azariah, uh, which means God has helped. And, Abe- uh, and it was changed to Abednego, uh, which means the servant of Nebo. I don't know any Nebo, but I don't want to be a servant. I don't know about you guys. And, and that's just his turn. Again, changing him from a son of God to a servant slave of a human. And, and there's a verse in Psalms 23 that, listen to this, it's so important. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. Satan and every evil tendency in the human experience in human history is it tries to first attack our identity tries to attack our identity because when you who you are determines what you do who you are determines how you see the world who you are determines like what you think is possible who you are is is central to uh to creator and creation um and remember it's not it's not what they call you that matters it's what you answer to it's what you answer to there's three things that the Babylonians here are doing to Daniel and his friends. And you might want to take these notes. There's three things that they're trying to do to steal their identity. The first is Babylon wants you to identify with a false identity. It wants you to identi- identify with a false identity. To forget who you really are. Um, like my grandma, like her mother putting those labels on her. Some people are, the culture that we live in, the, the riptide that we stand in in our culture says things like this, you are your feelings. Which is great, it, but you know, you can have 80% great feelings, but then when you're not feeling good, your identity sinks with it. Like my daughter, it's like, if she was just primarily her feelings 80% of the day would be good 20% would be terrible I mean like terrible and we live in a world that says you are your feelings you are your appearance how you look and how how other people think you look that's where your value is that's where your identity is you are your intelligence you are your ability you are what other people say about you and, and, and the reality is with any of these things, well, that sounds great when you're popular, it sounds great when you're smart, but what, or it sounds great when you're feeling good, but what if those things are taken from you? What happens? Your, your identity tanks. Um, I, I've known people who've gotten in accidents or strokes and their intelligence is taken from them. If their identity is primarily wrapped around their intelligence and they lose that, what, what happens to their life? How do they feel about themselves? How do they see themselves? Friends, our identity is, is wrapped and is designed to be wrapped around the creating God who created us and gave us, and gave us His Son. Our identity, Christians, is in Christ. It's in Christ. It's not the labels that other people put on us. It's not the things that go up and down. I mean, there's other things that our world says. It's you are your achievements. You are what you do. So you got to work really hard. If you don't, if you're not successful, then you're a failure. That's your identity. Um, I, I am my history. And if you've got a history that's really good, you're great. But if you're like most people, there's a history that you have that isn't that great. Then your identity's wrapped in that. And many people live like locked to their past. I can never change. Like it's not even worth trying. I'm the same old person because they believe in that old identity. When I, 
I have a friend named Pat. He's a counselor. And he says, I have worked with so many people. But one of the primary issues that I see is that their parents or their friends or their family or their world or even themselves, they have begun believing a label that they or others have put on them. And he's like, one of my jobs is to call their identity out. In Jeremiah 1, uh, it says this. I ch- God says this. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you as a prophet. I designed you. Like our identity then is found in God's purpose for us. Not what the world says. Not what our feelings say. Not how smart we are or aren't. Not all our accomplishments. None of that. It's in the Lord. And the, and the, the Babylonian Empire are trying to steal the heart of these men. And Satan, from the very beginning, has been trying to steal the heart. Because if you can take someone's identity, you take their heart. Um, in Rwanda, I, I, I learned that um, in the beginning, like there were colonials that came in and they, they saw the tribes and they wanted them to work for the, you know, in the colonies. So what they did was, by, based on appearance, by the way they looked, they divided the Rwandan people into tribes based on appearance. And years later, this tribal hatred happened. And if you know anything about the genocide that happened between, in a hundred days, over a million people um, killed. Complete genocide. And the roots of it weren't even like genetic differences. They were the same people. They were Rwandans, but they had been divided into tribes and the heart of the people had been had been taken and twisted and friends this will happen over and over again our identity is so important you have to know who you are matthew three sixteen says this when jesus came out of the water after being baptized the heavens suddenly opened before him and, and they saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and coming down on him and a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased you and I are the beloved sons and daughters of God. If we start believing other stuff, our heart's going to be just taken out of our chest. Number two, Babylon wants you to give others a false identity. In verse seven, it says, the chief unit gave them names. Who is that guy? His name is Aspenaz. Aspenaz gave them names. He's a guy who's been subjugated. He's probably not Babylonian. He's been assimilated, changed. He's lost his heart. And now he is giving new names and identities that are negative and false to God's people. And he gave them those names that I went through. The interesting thing is that Daniel, in his situation, is 15 years old into this crazy empire... And uh, where he has no control, he's trained in all these things that are antithetical to his beliefs. And he ends up, you'll, we'll see this by the end of the book, he ends up influencing Nebuchadnezzar and helping him find his identity in God. Nebuchadnezzar went from being like wicked tyrant, genocidal maniac, to all of a sudden honoring God. That's amazing. The question that's asked in the book of Daniel is, are you an Aspenaz? Don't be an Aspenaz. Or are you a Daniel? Are you tearing people's identity out of their hearts and replacing it with something sick and false? Are your words tearing people down and changing how they see themselves? Or are you going to be a Daniel who stands in the midst of all that 
and says no and actually helps people find their identity in Christ. When I was in high school, I uh, lost my acne after, I think it was my junior year. I lost all my acne. I had terrible acne. And I uh, was doing football and was on the football team and all of a sudden was with the popular crew. And the popular crew had the pull, like it was pulling this way, like you, you, to do, be cool and be with the, you know, these, these people, like we like to joke and tear each other down and make fun and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being in class one day and I was with some of my friends and there was a, there was a kid, um, that was sitting at a desk and he was getting annoyed with our, how we were joking. He was like, could you guys be quiet? We're taking a test. I remember it was this, it was called the Tesse. It's about the book Tess. And you guys have to read that. Just this horrible, long Victorian, you guys. It was terrible. And we had to do this test on it. And we were joking the whole time. This kid got mad. He's like, you say that again, I'm going to hit one of you. And so I kept teasing him and teasing him. And finally, I was taking this test. And then something hit me. And I looked up. I thought a book had been dropped, like a big thesaurus or something. And it was this kid, and he was shaking. He just punched me in the face. And I jumped up, and, I, and all of a sudden, the teacher had to separate us. And, and you know... Um, just, I, I, my words, even in that moment, were so, you know, mean. Something like, you know, like, oh, that felt like my sister hit me. You know, just something just super mean. And I remember, you know, like feeling, you know, justified. Like, can you believe that guy? And, and then a friend of mine came up and said, hey, um, I started coming to youth group with you. He's coming to youth group with me. And he's like, and I started engaging with Jesus. And I've, I've started faith because of um, how you've impacted my life. He's like, and to be honest, I don't want anything to do with you or, or God right now because of how I saw you treat my friend. Because he was friends with that other guy. And he's like, I, I've never seen anybody treat him like that. And I just like, it just like hit me in the gut. Like I got teary and I was like, what was I doing? And I was like acting like a Babylonian. I was Aspenaz. And I'm like, that's not who I'm called to be. And when you get... You know that you've been fully pulled in and the undertow has a grip on you when you start giving false identity to other people. You with me? All right, here's the last thing. Here's the last takeaway. Um, Babylon wants you to hold on to old labels and identities. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You are your divorce. You'll never be this. You'll never be able to do that. All the false things that we can begin believing about ourselves. And um, I'm t- I am telling you, friends, um, you are the only one who can let God remove that identity. Some people will wander around for years and years. Like my grandma, because these words are spoken over her life. Who could love you? You're fat. You're not good enough. Like, like on her life, she the only way she could, could get rid of those things is say, God, you take these. And some of us will hold on to them for years. And only Jesus can take that away. Only Jesus can restore your identity. It says in Colossians 1.13, Jesus, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, from Babylon, and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves, and in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is freedom. Like, like we're freed from having to live like Babylonians. We don't have to take on those names. It doesn't matter what people call you as much as it matters. What name do you answer to? Do you listen to God's voice? Or are you listening to the voice of other people? Are you listening to voices that are tearing you down? Are you going to believe the truth of what God says about you? Are you you're, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Are you going to believe whatever the world has put on you? Whatever's pulling you down? 
And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we get baptized, when we turn to him, and the, the word, biblical word is repentance, a new identity can be formed. And we can become a people that stand firm in who we are with God's love, following Jesus with everything we have in the midst of a cult, culture that's being pulled downstream. What I want to do now is just pray for you and pray for our church as we enter this. I know we had some background stuff to go through, but I'm so excited what we can learn from the life of Daniel. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. We're so grateful. Lord, thank you that we don't have to live into an identity that others have given us, but we can live into yours. Lord, you created us, you formed us for a purpose, for a reason, and Lord, we trust in that. If there's anybody in here today, Lord, that's just been struggling and feels worthless or doesn't feel like they just, they just had the heart pulled out of them, Lord, would, would you come into their life? Would you, um, would you usher in truth so that they know that they are loved by you no matter what. Whether they're having a good day or a bad day, Lord, that doesn't change your love for them. And, and God, would you help us who, who are standing for you to learn how to stand with grace and truth. To learn how to influence culture, not just run away from it. How to hold on to our faith and our values and our convictions and not give them up. They're not up for sale. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.